So, when I lived in Chicago, I did a speaking tour in the Midwest. Did it over a couple different uh, springs. Went to uh, Kentucky and Iowa and Indiana and Illinois and Wisconsin. And boy, did I love Wisconsin. Wisconsin is so beautiful. But I saw something in Wisconsin I had never seen before, maybe on TV, but not even like this. I was driving home, I was on the freeway, you know, urban zone, heading back towards Chicago, and the skies were just filled with geese. And you know how geese fly in these arrows. Some of the flocks were bigger, some of them were smaller. And it was hard to keep my eye on the road. I was driving like this. Because I'd never seen anything like it before. I'm not talking 10 geese. I'm talking tens of thousands. They were just everywhere. It was amazing. And you know, they, they fly like this because it's really efficient. The one in front carries most of the wind drag. The ones behind them, it cuts the wind for them. And they actually, they take turns leading. So they can fly a lot further by sharing the burden. But what if the one leading doesn't know where he's going? Or what if the one five back doesn't trust the leader? I don't know where they were heading, probably down south, I don't know. But they could have ended up anywhere if they didn't properly follow the leader. You know, it's interesting, I was watching one of these shows, uh, Pawn Stars or something, and they had this uh, box with a bunch of dials and numbers on it. And they had an aviation expert come in to tell them what it was and what it was worth. He said, well, this was the device the bombers would use. So they knew how to get from here to where they were going to drop their bombs in Europe. Because if you think about it, how do you get somewhere? You get in our car and we drive. But what if you've got to fly across an ocean? There's no landmarks. What if you're, you, you're heading straight towards Germany, but the wind is hitting you at 20 miles an hour this way, and you don't have this device to tell you where to go, you might end up in Norway or China. So this box tells you, you know, altitude, wind speed, your speed, and if the clouds are covered up and you can't look at the stars, you can do this dial and that dial. It's pretty cool that they've come up with things like that, but birds, they just know how to get where they're going. God's pretty cool, what God has done with animals. All this complicated equipment we need, birds just fly there. But it's not because they're smart. We can do it because we're smart. They can do it because God just made them to get there. I know birds aren't smart. You know, there's pigeons around here. Now, they may not be the dumbest birds, but they're probably in the running. Because have you ever messed with a pigeon? You know, they, they flock together too. But if you scare them, they fly. And they fl start to fly in a big circle. But what happens is the one in the back sees the one in the front. And I think they don't know who's in charge. So they just keep flying in circles. And eventually one of them goes, dudes! I think we've been here before. And after like 20 laps, one of them lands, and the other one looks at him to see if he gets eaten, and he doesn't, so the other lands. Pretty funny. Sometimes you just got to follow the leader. Sometimes you shouldn't. We're going to look at both of those things this morning. Sometimes you got to follow the leader, and sometimes you just shouldn't. We've been going through the book of 2 Samuel. King David, I shared with you, was a good man, but he really screwed up, and he screwed up hard. And he brought judgment upon his family. And one of the byproducts of all that messing up was that his firstborn son, who was supposed to be the next king, ended up 
trying to overthrow his father's kingdom. He led a coup. And he actually wanted to kill his own dad and take over the government. Well, when David found out about this, he picked up, packed his bags, and he ran. And he fled town. Civil war ensued, a battle. David was victorious. Sadly, but necessarily, his son died. And David and his men started coming back to Jerusalem. The grieving, the moaning, the crying, we talked about it last week. It was a hard time for David and for all of Israel. But you can imagine the relief he was feeling. Okay, it's over with. I get to go home. But it wasn't over. Because on his way home, they're getting ready to cross the Jordan River. And a bunch of Israelites. Now, back in those days, they had 12 tribes. And each tribe really had its own identity. David's tribe was Judah. The rest we'll just call Israel. The representatives from Israel came and said, How dare you people escort the king back without inviting us? They were big time insulted that they didn't get invited to escort the king back. I'm thinking, you mean the king whose kingdom you just tried to overthrow? You're all indignant now that you didn't get the invitation to bring him back? Is, is that what I'm hearing here? And they got so mad. Well, let me just read to you what happened. Now, a troublemaker named Sheba, son of Bichri, a Benjamite, happened to be there. And he sounded the trumpet, and he shouted, We have no share in David, no part in Jesse's son, every man to his tent, Israel. So all the men of Israel deserted David to follow Sheba, son of Bichri. But the men of Judah stayed by their king all the way home. They just finished a coup and a rebellion led by somebody else. What, they didn't get the, the coup blood out yet? They got to do more? Exactly. It's just the next piece of the rebellion. Okay, Absalom's dead. Let's try Bikri. Sheba, son of Bikri. I can imagine David's probably going, oh, not again. We just did this. Well, I looked at this in a few different translations. It says, a troublemaker named Sheba. Troublemaker is the word that's used in the NIV Bible. The King, New King James says rebel, and the New American Standard says worthless fellow. Now, I could see how those are all related, but they don't all mean the same thing. So when I see different translations, I'd like to jump into the Hebrew and really try to understand what's being said. The translations do a great job, but sometimes knowing the Hebrew can help you, you know, suss it out a little better. The Hebrew there, and I know why they didn't translate it, because it doesn't make any sense in English. But then they stepped away from translating and went into interpreting, which is kind of what you're supposed to do and kind of not. It's a real dicey thing with Bible translation. But it is a man of Belial. That's what it says in Hebrew. A man of Belial named Sheba, son of Bichri. Well, what's a man of Belial? Oh, I'm glad you asked. Belial does mean worthless, does mean wicked, but it was also a name used for Satan. So that adds a little something to the story. Basically, they're saying that this guy, Sheba, was in his lifestyle a worthless guy who behaved more like Satan or a son of Satan than he did a son of God. Can you imagine? Because remember, God is really the ultimate author of this book. Identifying somebody as worthless how would you like that on your gravestone? Here lies Sheba, a worthless man. 
We always think God is so nice that he doesn't think poorly of people. He sees it the way it is. And this guy was worthless. That doesn't mean a day couldn't have come where he became worth something if he changed his ways. But right now he was bad. So I take this concept of worthless, rebel, troublemaker, put it together, and tie it to the context of rebellion, came up with this itty-bitty saying. Rebellion is the fruit of a wicked, worthless man whose behavior is in line with Satan. This man was willing to go to war and see his own people die to have his way. And that's not God-like at all. So here's what happened. David says, uh-uh. He's not getting away with this. He sends his army after this guy. So him and his soldiers take off. David pursues them, and they end up in this little town called Abel. It's a walled town, so it's not too little. And Joab, who's the head of the, the army, starts building a siege ramp, and they're going to destroy the city. And this woman sticks her head over the wall. She says, I want to talk to the commander. So Joab comes over. She says, are you, Joab, the commander of the army? I am. What are you doing? Why are you destroying us? We're just a good, innocent town. Everybody in Israel likes us. What's going on? He said, we're not here to destroy you. You're harboring Sheba. We want Sheba. She says, hang on, I'll get him out. I will throw his head over the wall. So she goes back to town, talks to all the elders of the town, and says, hey, it's us or him, and he's bad anyway. He rebelled against the king. It's a no-brainer. You're right, it's a no-brainer. Off with his head. So they whacked off his head, threw it over the wall. Joab said, thanks, have a nice day. Took his head back to David and said, coup's over. You know, coups are easy to end. Just got to take the head off the snake. All right, will you give me a moment to rant and rave? Because I'm upset about something, and I'm going to tell you about it. It's one of my pet peeves. It goes down often like this. We just won the national title ship. Title ship. <laughs> we're, the, we're the best football team. We're the best basketball team. So let's go downtown, burn some cars, loot some shops, and beat some people up. Yay! What are, what are people thinking? Now, that's not the part that bothers me. What bothers me is that we've so emasculated our law enforcement that they can't do anything about it. Let's go in there and tell them to stop. Oh, look, they're not listening. How sad. You know what happened in England? They're burning down buildings. And what did the British do? They got rightfully angry. And they said, you better stop or we're going to do something serious. And after a few more buildings, maybe they got the right idea. It's easy to stop. Go in with a few guns and shoot some people. End of, end of, you know, end of the riot. These are people willing to burn down people's houses kill people with their action, steal, and we're afraid to shoot them with a rubber bullet because we might poke out somebody's eye. Yeah, because those things are dangerous. There is a way to deal with rebellion. And that's the way it worked beautifully in the Bible. Rebellion over. Take off somebody's head. I'm such a nice pastor, I know. <laughs> so Absalom led a coup. He dies. Sheba leads a coup. He dies. But everyone suffered. Everyone in Israel suffered. Rebellion causes pain. 
plain and simple. I was thinking about what they're calling the Arab Spring and all, you know, in Egypt they had the rebellion and in Syria, um, Syria they had the rebellion and with Muammar Gaddafi they got the rebellion in Libya and what good are they doing? They're putting down tyranny. Uh-huh, sure they are. And who's taking their place? You know, usually when you got a gangster running a territory, a bigger gangster kicks his butt. Now you've got a bigger gangster running your territory, a meaner gangster running your territory. He's so mean, he was able to displace the last gangster. I'm telling you, anybody wants you to sign up for the rebellion team, don't join, because it's just going to result in years of misery and war, and then you're going to have a worse gangster sitting on the throne. God is against rebellion. He claims lordship over government. And when we throw our might against a government, no bueno. Everybody suffers. Listen to what the Bible says about rebellion. Rebellion is like the sin of divination or witchcraft, and arrogance is like the evil of idolatry. This is parallelism. This is very classic in the Bible. It's saying the same thing twice. Rebellion is like the sin of divination, and arrogance is like idolatry. This is in parallel. So we've got rebellion put together with arrogance, and we've got divination put together with idolatry. So he's basically trying to make the point stronger by repeating himself and adding to it. But I found this real interesting because it educated me that rebellion goes hand in hand with arrogance. You think about it. Why would somebody try to take over the government? Because they think they can do a better job. They're arrogant. I can be a better leader than he is. I know better than they do. Arrogance, arrogance, arrogance. There can be no rebellion without arrogance. Arrogance is the foundational sin to almost every other sin, if not every other sin, definitely with rebellion. So, since today's lesson is called Follow the Leader, I gave you two examples of where it went really bad. I want to just talk to you what the Bible says about submission in general. We've got three areas of leadership that the Bible tells us to be aware of. Civil authority, spiritual authority, and authority within the family. So we're going to look at all three of those and give you a good idea of God's chain of command and how he would have us behave. So we're going to start with the civil authorities in the Old Testament, jump to the New Testament, and move on. Here's what the Bible said in the Old Testament about obeying civil authorities. Go to the one place of worship chosen by the Lord your God and present your case to the Levitical priests and to the judge who is in office at that time and let them decide the case. In this chapter, it talks about local government. So let's say a case goes before a local you know, constable or something, but it's too hard. He, he really doesn't know what to do. He gets to send it up the food chain to the Supreme Court, using words we know here. They will give their decision, and you are to do exactly as they tell you. Accept their verdict and follow their instructions in every detail. Anyone who dares to disobey either the judge or the priest on duty is to be put to death. And this way, you will remove this evil from Israel. And everyone who hears about it will be afraid, and no one else will dare to act this way. It's, it's interesting. The Bible is the book on love. It's the book on patience. It's the book on graciousness. It's the book on forgiveness. 
And it's also the book on keeping evil from spreading and rebellion from ruining a community. God tells us how to have a happy, healthy community. And when somebody rebels, deal with it immediately or it's going to get worse. It spreads like a disease. Quarantine it or everybody's going to suffer. And it's not mean to execute somebody who rebels against the government. It's smart because they're going to cause serious chaos. As we've seen twice already this morning, and as you can see what's going on in all these wars in Africa and now in the Middle East. Lots of people dying, better just one, the instigator, the bad guy. It says, accept their verdict and follow their instructions in every detail. That's in the Old Testament. That was a civil authority put in place by God. So people might think, oh, sure, it's a godly authority. You do whatever they say. But what if they're not godly? Romans chapter 13 addresses that. Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. God takes credit and responsibility for government. He's in charge. The Bible clearly says there is nobody in charge that God didn't put in charge. This was written when Rome was in charge of Israel. You realize Israel was destroyed in 70 AD and they were reborn in 1948. Do you know why they were destroyed? They rebelled against Rome. Had they just known what the word of the Lord told them, that would have never happened. This happened in the Old Testament, too. Jeremiah was the prophet in Israel. The Babylonians were coming in to attack Judah. Well, let's fight back. Jeremiah the prophet said, no, God is sending them to punish us for our sin. If you obey them and submit to them, it will be well with you. They almost killed Jeremiah, and they arrested him for saying that. Threw him in jail. The Babylonians came, surrounded the city, People were starving to death. They started to eat each other. The Babylonians came in, killed thousands of people, and deported them off to Babylon, the ones that survived. None of that had to happen. None of it. If they just did what God said. The Babylonians were not good people. But God was using them to judge Israel, who were also not good people. Rome came in to take over Israel. They were not good people. But God was using them to teach Israel a lesson and to judge Israel. By the way, you may not know this, but the Romans were actually invited in by Israel because there was civil war and chaos. And they say, hey, come on in and help. By the way, you hear that story with Rome a lot. Um, Rome actually had this uh, brilliant policy. They, they were amazing warriors and builders. They were a powerful empire. But rather than just going into a country and destroying it, they tried first to mess it up politically and get the people to fight against each other, and then they would come in and clean up the mess. So I'm sure there was some of that going on in Israel, some backstreet deals going on, you know, so the Romans could come in. Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities. It doesn't matter if they're godly or good. We're told to submit to them, with one exception. Unless they tell you to do something that God doesn't want you to do. In other words, let's say our government becomes evil, and they say, 
you're no longer allowed to go to church and pray to Jesus Christ. My response to that is, let's hide and make a secret church. We're still doing it because God wants us to do it. But if they say we're moving the tax rate from 30% to 50%, I'm not going to say hide your 20%. I'm going to say pay it. That's legal. They can do that. Doesn't matter if it's fair or good. Hey, vote somebody else into office. Legally protest. Sue them. Do whatever you can that's right and moral to get it your way. But if the government comes and says this is the way it is, this is the way it is. Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities. We're told to obey. doesn't matter how good they are. Here's the exception rule. But Peter and John answered them, you yourselves judge which is right in God's sight, to obey you or to obey God. For we cannot stop speaking of what we ourselves have seen and heard. They were told to stop preaching Jesus. And they said, no, we're not going to stop. It's okay to disobey when they tell you to do something that is contrary to God's word. Well, some people, as plain as this is, just don't get it. This month, a group of Amish men were arrested and thrown into jail because the government told them to put reflective triangles on their horse and buggies. And this group, many Amish have them, but this group said it's against their religion, they won't do it. They said their religion teaches them that they can't wear brightly colored clothing and they must trust God for safety, not government regulations and symbols. I'm sure that sounds spiritual. We're trusting God rather than man and symbols. God said, obey the government. They didn't do it. And they got thrown into jail. They needed to be thrown into jail. Being thrown into jail was exactly what they deserved. The Bible warns us in Romans. It says, do what they say. They carry not the sword in vain. They will punish you if you disobey. They disobeyed. They got thrown into jail. I'm hoping they've learned their lesson. Because the Bible doesn't say anything about affixing brightly colored triangles to buggies. I've looked twice. <laughs> it doesn't say anything about wearing brightly colored clothes either. And it doesn't say anything about safety regulations. But it does say, in many places, obey the government. But they're so spiritual and so religious that their own religion has kept them from following God. By the way, put the name of any religion, and I'm sure those people have done the same thing. Jews, Catholics, Baptists, Buddhists, you name it. We make up our own laws, and we put them in place of God's laws, and they become more important to us than God's laws. I've argued with people. It drives me nuts. Where does it say that in the Bible? Oh, come on, Steve. You know it's not right. Where does it say it's in the Bible? Well, it doesn't specifically say it in the Bible. It doesn't. No. But that doesn't mean it's wrong or right, depending on which way they go. It doesn't. So you get to decide what's right or wrong. And then get mad at me if I disagree with you. I understand. That's called judging. The Bible tells us not to do that. Now, the thing you're mad at me about for doing or not doing, the Bible doesn't say anything about. It says a lot to you about being mad at me for doing it. Why don't people listen? They just don't listen. 
So, rebellion against civil authorities is like rebellion against God. Romans pl plainly says it. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. We're told to obey the laws of the land. We're told to honor our leaders. We're told to pay our taxes. Headline news from a couple years back. Dr. Dino gets 10 years in prison after failure to pay taxes. In November 2006, Pensacola, Pensacola, Florida evangelist Kent Hoven and his wife Joe were found guilty on 58 federal counts of willful failure to pay payroll taxes, structuring bank withdrawals, and obstructing federal agents. Hoven, self-styled as Dr. Dino, believes in biblical literalism, claimed that he is not liable for taxes, and his ministry doesn't have to render unto Caesar because, as he claimed, his workers are missionaries and not employees. This article is slamming Christ and Christian people indirectly because of this man's behavior. We don't live in a vacuum. If a famous evangelist gets, runs afoul of the law, it makes God look bad and makes us all look bad. By the way, this guy has awesome tapes on creation science, some of the best out there. I've seen them all. They're fabulous. He had a great ministry. But somehow he got it into his mind that the way he was being taxed was wrong, even though the government told him it was right. So what happens in this country when the government tells you to do something and you think the government is telling you wrong? You go to court. And then the court tells you. What if you think the court is wrong? appeal it to a higher court. What happens if you've appealed it as far as you can appeal it and you still think the government's wrong? Do it. Obey them. That's what God says. That takes me right back to the Supreme Court of the Old Testament where it said, follow their instructions in every detail. It doesn't say follow their instructions in every detail if you agree with them. We wouldn't have gotten to this place if we agreed with them. Submission is all about the times we don't agree. It's real easy to submit when you agree with your leaders. But when you don't, that's when it matters. And that's what was going on with this guy. Ten years. Because he wouldn't pay his taxes. Romans 13, it says he believes in the literal Bible. And they, they mock that because, you know, those of us who believe in the six-day creation and don't think we were once monkeys, we get mocked. But the Bible literally says, and this was the point they were trying to make, render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's. And the Bible literally says, Romans 13, 7, pay all that you owe, whether it is taxes and fees or respect and honor. Pay what you owe. And that's why I said if the tax rate goes up, vote against it, rally against it, do whatever you can legally against it. But if it's instituted, pay it. We are blessed in this country. Churches don't have to pay taxes. Now, our employees have to pay taxes. But we don't have to pay taxes on the property. That's a blessing, because every house and business does. What if they change that law? We'll go up in arms. Everybody will be upset. It's unconstitutional. You're right, it is unconstitutional. But I'm not a constitutional lawyer, senator, or president. So we'll go to court. Then the courts will decide. What if they decide against us? We'll appeal it. What if it goes all the way to the Supreme Court? Whatever they say goes. They're called the Supreme Court. They get to decide. 
And if they start taxing us, that will stink. What will we do? Pay our taxes, because <laughs> that's what we're supposed to do. Pay all that you owe, whether it's taxes and fees or respect and honor. Now, I find that interesting. There's a whole bunch of plays on words and concepts going here. Pay all that you owe. I can understand owing a fee, because it's a fee you've got to pay every year, and you owe it, or paying a tax, and you owe it. But how do you owe respect? How do you owe honor? I'll tell you how. People in authority over us deserve our respect and honor. I don't mean deserve because they're better people. I mean deserve it because God told us to submit to them. Whether they deserve it or not is irrelevant. So we owe them our respect and honor. But it's even more than that. I mean, we do have a biblical obligation to use our money to support government. We're told to do that, faithfully pay our taxes. Honor, though, is tied to the financial obligation. That's what I find interesting. It says pay all that you owe, fees and taxes, honor. So we have an obligation to pay honor, but honor is also a word tied to money in the original Greek. That's where the play on words comes in. Financial obligation and honor are tied together. Well, we've been talking about civil government. Let's move over to spiritual authority because this is where that play on words really manifests itself. I'm in 1 Timothy 5. Listen to what it says. The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, do not muzzle the ox while it's treading out the grain, and the worker deserves his wages. Remember I showed you in that witchcraft passage the parallelism? We got parallelism going on in this passage too. Double honor is in parallel with the worker deserves his wages. If you look at it closely, you'll see, uh, do not muzzle the ox while it's treading out his grain, the work deserves his wages, is said to make the point that the leaders are worthy of double honor. So how does honor have anything to do with an ox treading out its grain? Well, the word honor means a couple of different things in the Greek. It means respect, deference, and reverence. That you know. But it also means the value of something, financially. Something, what it's worth. The price. The price tag is the same Greek word. So the play on words is, give them double honor. Not only the respect kind, but also the kind that the ox deals with in treading out the corn. Pay. The Good News Bible puts that in its translation. It puts it this way. The elders who do good work as leaders should be considered worthy of receiving double pay, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, do not muzzle an ox when you're uh, using it to thresh grain, and workers should be given their pay. Interesting what goes on there. All right, so here's what we got. We're obligated to pay taxes to, to support civil leaders. In the same way, we're obligated to financially support spiritual leaders. We're obligated to obey our civil leaders. And the Bible also says we're obligated to obey our spiritual leaders. Hebrews 13, 17. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive. For they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief for that would be unprofitable for you. All right, three areas, civic, spiritual, and now familial, the family. 
There's several places in the New Testament and in the Old that talk about how families are set up. Probably none better than Colossians chapter 3, though. Here's what it says. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Why do I obey the government and respect them even if I don't respect them? Because of Jesus. Because he tells me to. You know what? I didn't vote for our current president. And I don't think he's doing a good job. But he is my president. Every four years in this country, we get to vote again. And I'm hoping the country will give somebody else a try to fix things. I'm hoping. But what if he gets another four years? I'm not going to swear and stomp my feet up and down. Praise the Lord. Maybe we're moving closer to Armageddon this way. Whatever. You know, whatever. I don't care. Because God's in control. There are no authorities except for those that God establishes. I don't know how you live with a multi-trillion dollar debt. The house of cards is going to fall down sooner or later, and I'm not going to enjoy that ride. I didn't make it happen, and I can't stop it from happening. I know who's in charge. I'm just going to buckle my seatbelt and enjoy the ride. That's the way it's got to be. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. If he's the one you're trying to please, everything else becomes easy. It doesn't matter if the civil authorities screw up. Ah, let them screw up. I know who's in charge. God bless you and pray for them. And just watch what Jesus is going to do. Then, it goes into the submission thing within the family. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. And fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. And whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. Slaves, submit to your masters and work hard for them as if you were working for Jesus himself. Well, you wouldn't expect to read that in the Bible, would you? Slavery is bad. Slavery is no good. Fine, if you can get free, get free. But if you can't, do your job and do it well. Interesting, because rebellion only leads to pain for everybody. So you're a slave. What are your options? Submit or rebel? What's going to happen with the rebellion? Well, in ancient Rome, if you're caught, maybe you'd be crucified. That'll be fun. Want to try that out? So what are your options? Submit. Oh, and by the way, what could happen if you submit and you're a good slave? You can be set free. They can release you as a reward. They can pay you. They can sell you out to somebody who will pay you so you can buy your freedom. What do you get when you rebel? A life on the lamb and maybe die. Didn't work out for Spartacus, did it? It was a good movie, though. Made a good movie. But he ended up very dead. When children honor their parents, they honor the Lord. And when wives honor their husbands, they honor the Lord. When we honor our secular leaders, we honor the Lord. When we honor our spiritual leaders, we honor the Lord. And when children disobey their parents, they dishonor the Lord. And when wives 
disrespect their husbands. They disrespect the Lord. And when we disrespect our civil or our religious leaders, we disrespect the Lord. And when we disobey them, we disobey the Lord. The sermon is called Follow the Leader. In our lives, every one of us, God will give the opportunity to lead and the opportunity to follow. Even if you're the president of the United States, you still got to answer to your wife. You still got to do what the Supreme Court says. You still got to do what Congress says. And you can be voted out by people. The garbage man can vote out the President of the United States. The older sibling gets to tell the younger sibling what to do. But the parents tell the older sibling what to do. And the parents of the parents tell them what to do. And the cops tell them what to do. And the governor tells the cops what to do. And the Senate tells the governor what to do, and we decide if the governor is going to be the governor. Everybody gets to lead, everybody gets to follow. Even at the workplace, you'll have people under you and people over you. And even if you're the lowest man or woman on the totem pole, by the power of your character and witness, people will follow you. Everybody gets the chance to lead, and everybody gets the chance to follow. You may be a submissive wife at home, but a CEO of a Fortune 200 company at work. Everybody leads, everybody follows. You may be the man of the house, but you may be the bottom of the totem pole wherever you're working. Everybody leads, everybody follows. And this is God's will, and this is God's way to keep us from chaos and hurting ourselves. But there's one leader above all. We don't use the word Lord much in our culture except for, for religious purposes. They do use it in England. So the closest word we've got for Lord in our culture is probably leader. It's great if you submit to your authorities. It's great if you submit to your parents. It's great if you submit. But there's one that matters above all, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the ultimate leader. And we submit to him when we say, my life is yours. I live to please you. I give up everything that keeps me from you. No longer my will, but thine be done. By the way, that was his prayer when he submitted to his Father. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. If Jesus is not the Lord of your life, you may not know it, but you're causing chaos in your own life by not submitting to the God of the universe. I would encourage you to connect with him by returning from your sins and pledging your heart to him and letting him know you believe in him, that he died for your sins and rose again, and thank him and follow him. Please join me in prayer. Lord God, it makes sense in our brains. Help our hearts to follow so that we might all be the leaders you have called us to be and the followers you have called us to be. And may it be said of the Christian church that we are the best of citizens. May people be proud to have us serving them and leading them. Lord, may we truly be the people that do all things in the name of Jesus 
to bring him honor and not shame. Where we are weak, Lord, make us strong. Fill us with your Holy Spirit and guide us. And help us to be everything you would have us be. And Lord, for those who are thinking on you, but haven't made the decision to follow you, please touch their hearts. May they know it in their head that it's right, but may they know it in their soul that it's right too. And may they submit themselves to you and take on your your yoke because your yoke is easy and your burden is light and they can find rest to their souls. Please bless and keep them. For it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.